Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. But before I read that, I'm going to read two other passages. One from Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then Isaiah 51, 1 and 2 says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. And then Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7 says, The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, just thanks for your goodness to us. You are absolutely faithful and sovereign. You are unbelievably gracious to us. We thanks for life. And Lord, thanks for moms. And we thanks for our own moms. And Lord, we just lift them up today. Lord, we encourage those who want to be moms and desiring to be moms. Would you just give them great grace? Lord, thanks for the family of faith that we are a part of. And the story that you've written through history. Help us be encouraged by it this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you believe promises are important? You believe promises, half of you? Um, The rest of you just lie all the time. You believe promises are important? How many of you are have a perfect track record with your promises? You've kept every promise that you've ever made. You're, you're, you have a perfect track record. What is it we want from a promise? When someone promises you something, what is it that you want? We want it to be fulfilled. We want it to be true. And all through the Bible, God has given us many promises. Fear not has told us over 365 times in the Bible. Fear not. It's a promise. God's going to take care of us. Trust in the Lord. And he will direct your paths. It's a promise that God gives. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Your sins can be forgiven. It's a promise. He is working everything for our good to those who love him. In Romans chapter 8, those are all promises of God. And God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah, who are the first family of faith. And we are, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are people of faith by a promise. Maybe this morning you have a decision 
you need to make and you're struggling with it. Or there's a difficulty that you're going through and you can't figure out what to do and how to handle it. You're you're in a great dilemma. Which direction should I go with my life? Or how am I going to handle this situation with my family? And what am I going to do? And how will I handle it? And will the promises of God be true for me? Are the promises of God really true? Can I really trust the promise? Is it really true that I can fear not? Or that God's really going to direct my path? Is it really true? Are my sins really forgiven? Is God really working everything out for good for me? Because it doesn't always feel that way. Can I really trust the promises of God? And the question ultimately is, can, is that, can you really trust God's promises? Or really, will you Trust God's promise. We're starting a series for the next few weeks called Ancestry.Faith. And America is obsessed, for some reason, with genealogy. We are obsessed with it. It is the second most popular hobby in America, is to track your genealogy. And Ancestry.com is huge. We see the commercials all the time. There's people who were Germans, or they thought they were Germans, and they find out they're Italians, and just throws them all all over the place. They have to learn how to sing again. And Ancestry.com is making millions of dollars on this. It started, Ancestry.com started in the backseat of two college students out in Utah who started sending out uh, floppy disks to help people track their family and their genealogy. It was sold in 2012 for $1.6 billion. We are obsessed in America with our genealogy. And genealogy.com, they've talked about this. Why is America so obsessed with knowing where we came from? Why is this so important? And one person wrote in genealogy.com article, it says, searching your genealogy satisfies basic human curiosity. The big questions of life, where do I come from? Why am I here? And what's going to happen to me? Another genealogist said in the article, if you get a whole picture of where you came from, then you have an, easy, then you have an easier time knowing where you're going. If you can see where you came from, you can figure out better where you're going. And sometimes, even as Christians, we need to look back to look forward when it comes to the promises of God. And can we really trust God's promise in the family of faith? began with a promise of God, with a person in Abraham. And just as Galatians said, all those who are in the faith, we, are, we can trace our family heritage back to Abraham and Sarah, who the, were the first people of faith that all of us trace our faith to for followers of Jesus Christ. And what can we learn from them in this morning We're going to start out looking at Sarah because it's Mother's Day. What can we learn from Sarah about the promises of God? And can we trust the promises of God? And will you trust the promises of God? My whole desire for this series is one that we would be strengthened in our connection of who we are and where God has brought us to. And also encourage you to dig a little bit deeper into seeing the whole big story of the Bible, a whole big story of scripture God made to Abraham a promise but it was very connected to his wife Sarah and really they were called Abram and Sarai first before God changed their name 
But in Genesis, it's the beginning. It's a whole story for us. It's God saying, this is my story, and this is how it's going to go. So Genesis chapter 1 through 9 is all about Adam all the way up to Noah and the, and the flood. And then Genesis chapter 10 through verse 11 switches from Noah and the flood to this one particular person named Abram. And Genesis chapter 12, but before we get that, we get these descendants of Noah. What kind of people are our early ancestors of the faith? What kind of people are they? What kind of individuals were they? What kind of people were Abraham or Abram and Sarah? What kind of people get a promise from God? What kind of people did God give a promise to? And if you read Genesis, just read it and forget everything that you think you already know about them, what you're going to instantly think of is God picks very unlikely people to give a great promise to. He picked a very unlikely pair of people to give a great promise to. He picked a very unlikely person in Abraham to give a promise to. And he picked a very unlikely woman in Sarah to give a promise to. Because Genesis chapter 11, the first time we meet her in Genesis chapter 11, which is on page 8 of the few Bibles, Genesis chapter 11, it says this. It gives the descendants of Abraham, it says in verse 27, Now these are the generations of Terah, which is Abraham's father. Terah fathered Abraham and his brothers, and then he died. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Eschah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. And then it's emphasized again in chapter 15. Sarah was barren. And then again, it was emphasized, Sarah couldn't have any children. The promise to Abraham was he was going to have this great family from all the, and all the earth is going to be blessed by him. And then he's married to this woman named Sarai who is barren and can't have children. There's a big absence in Sarah's life. There was nothing more catastrophic for a woman in that day than to be Childless In the ancient world, there, there's nothing more catastrophic that could happen to a woman than to find out that you are barren and you can't have children. Everything hinged on you being able to have a child, and particularly a son. We're talking about thousands of years ago, and cultures come and cultures go. And it's pretty much the reverse now in many ways in our culture. The Chicago Tribune had a big article today on the front page of why having a baby doesn't stop your career at all. I'm not saying either one's right or wrong, but in her day, in her culture, not being able to have a baby was the most catastrophic thing, and it's emphasized over and over. Her Sarah would have hated Mother's Day. She would have hated it, and for years, she wanted to have children. She couldn't have children. She desired to have children, and she couldn't bear or give birth to any children. And then it says she was moved. She's absolutely barren, which means she can't have any children with her. And then God says, hey, Abram, I want you to move your family away. And it says in verse 12, so that he moved his family from Ur of the Chaldees. He moved them away, and they settled in this land of Canaan. She was moved away from her family, her friends, all her connections, everything that Sarai knew. She was totally taken away from all of it. And she couldn't have any children. She was a woman that absolutely had nothing to offer the world, pretty much, is how she felt. Nobody there to support her in that. No connections. She was just 
living, and she was, in many ways, miserable. She, she felt this deep absence. And that's who God gave a promise to. Some of you might feel that same way. You feel this deep absence in your life. You, you wanted something, and you, you wish you could get it. You just don't feel like you're qualified enough to fulfill what God would have for you. There's an absence that you feel, but God's promise is not restricted by your absence of ability. This is the story and the people that God was going to bring all of us through. And he picks a very unlikely woman who's barren, can't have any children. For years she's barren, desiring it. She's absent of this. And God's promise, though, is not restricted at all by her absence. And God's promise is not restricted by all of your absence of what ability you think you should have or you shouldn't have. But it kind of gets worse for them. In Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, Abraham finds out that she, he has this, he's married to Sarah. He's moved her away. There's a great famine that takes place. And in verse 10, it says there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. The Nile River was there. It kept things going. So hey, they, they had to leave where the famine was, and they went down to where the food was. And Sarah was a very beautiful woman, the Bible says. She was stunningly beautiful. And Abraham knew that his wife was beautiful. And she's living this life that she never expected or hoped for. This wasn't part of her plan. And all of a sudden, there's this famine, there's trouble, and they move down. It says in verse 10 of chapter 12, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, It starts to sound like it's a good thing. Hey, I know that you are a beautiful that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me. But they will let you live. So here's the deal. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the prince of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Who does this? He is married to this unbelievably gorgeous woman. He knows that she's gorgeous. He says, hey, we're going to die if we stay up here. So we're going to go down, and there's food in Egypt. And as we're going, all of a sudden, he's looking at his wife. You're hot. And the Egyptians like hot women. This is going to be a problem. And so what he says to her is the most awkward thing that you could say. And I would use a different word, because, but it gets worse for them. Abraham says to his wife, Hey, you're really my half-sister anyway, so let's just say that you're my half-sister. It's not a complete lie. It's a little bit of a white lie. And then that way, if something happens, they'll take you and I won't die. I mean, there's levels of awkwardness. I mean, if you pick up somebody's coat that looks like yours and put it on, um, it's a little awkward. That's one degree of awkwardness. But when you tell your beautiful wife, hey, I'm going to... You tell them that you're my sister so that you can be taken away and possibly sexually assaulted. And I'm okay with that because if you don't do that, I'm going to die. 
That's really what he was setting her up for. She was being taken into the Pharaoh's harem to be used however he wanted. Abraham was saying to his wife, I want to live, so go be sexually assaulted, and I'm okay with that. That's awkward. That's extremely awkward. And there's levels of awkwardness. But God protected his promise. And it says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called called Abraham and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. It's It's a very awkward situation, isn't it? How do, you, how do you start that conversation? I want to live, honey. You, I don't care. Take it for the team. I mean, that's what he was saying. It's sick and it's awkward, it's twisted. But these are the people that God has said, this is who the family of faith is going to come from. These are who I made my promise with. Isn't much of life awkward? I mean, really, how many awkward relationships do you have in your life? I have a lot of awkward relationships. They're difficult. They're confusing. You're not always sure what to say. You're not always sure where you stand with people. You're not always sure what the setting is. We we go through, life is filled with awkward situations, is it? Awkward relationship, awkward difficulties. This is an extreme case of awkwardness. And sometimes we can't see what God's doing, looking through. Sometimes we can only see what God's doing, looking through the rearview mirror, but even then, sometimes it's very unclear, isn't it? It's still kind of awkward. Why did that happen to me? How come I had to go through that? There, there had to be a better way for that to take place. That just seemed awkward, God. Really? That's what you wanted from me? And that was what Sarah experienced, but God's promise can overcome all that is awkward. Because God protected Sarah in a miraculous way. That Pharaoh didn't sleep with her. He didn't sexually assault her, even though her husband was willing to allow that to happen so that he could live. And he sends them off far forward. Much of our life relationships, much of our situations in life can be awkward, but God's promise can overcome every awkward situation, every past awkward deal you've ever dealt with. But it only gets worse as the story goes. But Genesis 16 says, they they go through this time, God says, listen, I'm going to give you a baby, Abraham. It's going to come from you. It's going to come from your wife, Sarah. Sarah's going to have a baby. In chapter 15, he gets this promise from God. He doesn't really believe it. But then he believes. And it's counted to him as righteousness. And Sarah hears this too, and she thinks, This is what I want. I want to be a mom. I want to have a baby. It gives me identity and it gives me meaning. And so in chapter 16 of Genesis, it says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, 
took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I give my servant to you embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Sarai wanted to have children. She couldn't have it. But in the culture of that day, it was normally, it was acceptable for a woman to give her slave to her husband so that they could have a child. And if the slave woman of the mistress had a baby, then the headmistress took that baby, and it was like she had her own child. That was just the way they did it. That was the cultural, accepted norm, which was not God's plan at all, even though it was fully accepted by the culture, which, on a side note, just because culture accepts something doesn't mean it's the standard that we should go by. There's a lot of things our culture accepts, but just because it's accepted in their culture doesn't mean we should go by it. Sarah shouldn't have done it. It was wrong of her, and she did this. So she gives, that, was, that wasn't the worst thing. The worst thing was she gave her Hagar to Abraham. She becomes pregnant, and all of a sudden, Hagar sees that, and she goes, see, I've got a baby, you don't. And she starts to treat her headmistress wrong, and Sarah doesn't like it, and Sarah treats Hagar harshly. I mean, did, did Sarah have a sit down with Hagar and say, hey, here's the deal. I want you to go in. And I want you to sleep with my husband. How do you feel about that? No, she didn't do that. She said, you're my slave from Egypt. So I'm going to make you go and be sexually assaulted by my husband. I want you to have a baby with him. And when you have that baby with him, then I'm going to take him and he's going to be mine. Hagar had no choice in that. And then when she didn't like it, Sarah sees what takes place, and she, it says she's extremely harsh with her. It's the same word that the Jews, and later on in Genesis, when the people are being, the Israelites are being treated poorly by the Egyptians, it's the same Hebrew word for how harshly the Egyptians treated the Israelites. She was absolutely awful to Hagar. She was terrible to this woman. She treated her with contempt. She treated her extremely harsh. Abraham didn't help either. He just said, it's, she's your problem, not my problem. She was awful to Hagar in this situation. But the good news is for us and for Sarah is that God's promise is greater than all your awfulness. God's promise didn't depend on how good Sarah was. God's promise depended on how good God is. Sarah laughed when she heard that she was going to have a children later on. And Genesis 18.4 says, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? God said, his servant said to her, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you feel really awful. Maybe you feel really awkward. A lot of absence. That's the the goodness of the gospel. The promises of God is that all those feelings, all those realities, all the sin that is true of us, God still can love us and loves us anyway. 
He has unbelievable amounts of grace for us, the Bible says. That this is the family that he picked. This is the couple that he said, from them all the people of faith will come from. Pretty awful situation with these people. And it doesn't always get better as you keep reading. But the love of God is greater. He sees our awfulness. And he says, I love you anyway, so I'm going to send Jesus to come for you. I'm going to let him die on the cross for you. I'm going to let Jesus go through very awful things for you. And he's going to pay the penalty. And for those who will admit and believe, yes, we are basically awful. He can turn us around in our sins and if we confess and trust in him, God's promise to us doesn't matter about our awfulness. And he can turn everything wrong. Sarah is extremely awful in that situation. There's no pretty way to paint that picture. But then in Genesis chapter 21, in all of this, she live in this life, and there's more thing that happens, but in Genesis chapter 21, through all those things, verse 21 says, the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God knew exactly the kind of woman that Sarah was. He knew exactly her character. He knew exactly her emotional stance. He knew exactly her capabilities physically. He knew everything about her. And then he took a woman who was 90 years old. And he said, I'm going to give you a baby. And he took a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. And he gave them a child. Only God could do that. It was an absolute promise that God fulfilled. And then Sarah sees this and she's overwhelmed. And she says in verse 7, and, and who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would have nursed his children? Who would have believed this? Who can believe this? That me, this woman who's absolutely bare and dragged away from her family, was told to lie and should have been, could have been stuck in Egypt as a, as a part of the harem of Pharaoh who treated my slave horrifically. God does this for me. He sees my need and he rescues me and he gives me a baby. And she says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. All through what Sarah went through, God says, none of that stops you from letting me accept you. None of that stops you from letting me be used by you. God accepted. God promised, announced acceptance over Sarah. She had laughter. She had joy. The acceptance of God that we receive by grace through faith, it alters everything. If you just read Genesis, the first part of it, and you left it there, you'd be like, she was not a very nice woman. She did a lot of, that's terrible. But the good news of the New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 11, like Hannah read, it says that Sarah believed and it was counted to her as righteousness. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past faith, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She had faith. She believed. The promise was never on her. It was all on God. Faith is anchored in divine promise, not human possibility. The cross anchors all God's promises in reality. From all the stuff in the Old Testament, what separates them was Jesus came, he died in the cross, and it separates everything, so it changed her. Sarah became an absolutely changed 
woman, which is what the promise of God should do for you. So the promise of God does for us. God's, it changes God's people. You can believe the promises of God and not be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can believe that God's not going to forsake me. You can believe that he's going to work things out. You, you can believe those things and believe the promises and not really be a follower of Jesus because a true follower of Jesus is going to be changed by those promises. He's going to cling to those promises. And he's going to cling to the person of the promise. And so the issue is a faith issue. Can you trust God and his promises based on our past family of faith, the first family? Can we trust God with his promises? Yeah, because we're, we're awkward, we're awful, we're absent in some things, but God can still accept us. If he accepted Sarah and Abraham, he will accept us. The question you have to ask is, who's you going to give the authority to? I mean, how much authority will you give the author of his own story? God wrote the story of this. This was God's idea, God's promise. He planned this for Abraham and Sarah. He chose those two outside of anything from them. Just like everything going on in your life, God is sovereignly in control. How much authority are you going to give God who's the author of your story? You see all kinds of things going on that you're like, I don't like this. It's difficult. It's hard. I want to change it. God, you said this. God, you said this. I want it this way. And God just says, I've I've promised you many things. I'm the author of your story. Will you trust me? And how much patience will you have? Will you ask? Will you wait? Will you wait by faith and watch the author write the story of your life? Even if you don't understand what's going on this week, even if you are completely complexed and have no idea what the next future week holds for you or the next month or the next year. God says he can be trusted. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Sarah in a miraculous way. He doesn't love her any more than he loves you, the Bible says. And the reason we know that is because Jesus came and he died on the cross for us. And Sarah asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Jesus said twice in the New Testament, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. My promises are true. You can trust me by faith. If you let me be the authority of your life and the leader, if you patiently wait and just watch me write your story, and if you obey and follow me. Maybe you feel this morning that you've fallen too far away. I mean, you're here today. But you feel like, you know, I've I've really let God down. I mean, I've just dropped the ball in so many areas of my life. I'm just too far away for God to pull me back in. It's not true. Sarah's life tells us it's not true. Or maybe you have circumstances that just seem too complicated. You, You can't figure it all out. There's all kinds of things juggling in there. You, you can't figure it out. You can't even control yourself to have enough time to think about it. And you're having a hard time believing the promises of God. Your circumstances aren't out of God's control. Sarah's circumstances 
were out of her control, but they weren't out of God's control. Nothing's impossible with God. Or maybe you're confused about what you're supposed to do next. What's the next decision that I should make? Trust God. Trust God and let him direct your steps. That's what Abraham, that's what Sarah did. Our ancestry of faith as followers of Jesus announces to us that these were real people, really living real human lives with real problems, but they trusted a true God, the true God, whose promises can be forever be trusted. And if you fall, feel like you've fallen away too far, and you can't come back, Jesus says to us, because of the, cro- the cross, that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And he's writing to Christians. I stand at the door and I just open the door to me. Just say yes to me. Follow me. And Hebrews chapter 11, right after the great uh, chapter of faith of all these people who lived real lives, who just trusted God, didn't get to see the promises. It says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So keep looking to Jesus. Trust him. Because you can trust the promises of God. You, you can trust the promises of God because you can trust the promiser. Our ancestry of faith tells us if God could do that for Abraham and Sarah, if he could do it for Sarah, he can do it and he's willing to do it for you. And the way we ultimately know that is because he sent Jesus for us. And the cross tells us that God's for us, he's not against us, but he calls us to trust him by faith, to rest in him, and to obey and trust the promises of God. He's the ultimate and perfect promiser, and he always keeps his promises. Blow through the 
Oh, 